0: What's up, everybody? I am Jasperid Singh. We're here on the Iced Coffee Hour, and we have made, what, $200,000? Wow. Wow, that's, that's, that's fairly, it. Close. Yeah. It was fairly close. Yeah, it's a guess wouldn't tell me. Yeah,
1: it's $124,000 you've made Almost
2: to date. Almost there. Wow.
1: Yeah, that's good. Good.
2: I am so happy to have you on. You have no idea, because I've been watching your channel for like six years, since the very beginning. My man. You were I one of the it. OG finance YouTubers before before <laughs> anyone else. I, I kid you, it was you, and I think pretty much beat the bush, and then the big names of like Ty Lopez, yeah. Grant Cardone, that was it finance youtube didn't even exist and you were making videos back then yeah and you were one of the first channels that i came across thank you man i when appreciate I, that yeah like i would watch your videos and i didn't even know there was an audience for this but i think Either at the time you maybe had like 10, 10 subscribers. subscribers like you were just starting off yeah. and i looked at your channel i remember thinking like if you could be getting a few thousand views a video i at least knew that i could get a hundred views a video yeah. something like that so now you're crushing it man thank you Thank you, man. And congratulate you. you just hit a million subscribers yep, on YouTube. Thank yep. you. Thank you. Thank you. It thank seems you. like you've uh, grown quite a business from this as well. Yeah. You've expanded from real estate, doing this as well. Yeah. Investing on the side. So I, first of all, I want to know your, your entire, like, how did you start making YouTube videos? And... At what point did you start investing in real estate? You know what? So many, I'm, I'm going to let you take away. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just like, you have no idea. Because again, I've been watching your channel for long yeah. like that. It's just, well, I appreciate it. It's, grandma. Cool. Yeah. it's
0: nice to be here with you. Nice to finally meet you after years of talking and, and finally connecting. I didn't, I didn't know that uh, we were going to connect in Vegas, but I'm no. glad we were able to make it happen. Uh, I started a minority mindset actually on accident. Um, I was working on a different business at the time. It was in law school. I got scammed during this other business that I was running. And I was like, this sucks. I didn't grow up with any sort of financial education. I never grew up learning about investing, never grew up learning about money management, never grew up learning about wealth, never grew up learning about entrepreneurship. And now here I am trying to figure out this whole entrepreneurship side of thing. I'm seeing success, I'm investing my money. Now I get scammed. And I'm like, God dang it. Like, what this is a scam. Yeah, we got to know about we gotta that. We got to know about well, that. Scam. Well, okay, so how did work- they scam you? I was working on this sock company and we were getting ready to launch. And, uh, this company comes up to me, they're like, all right, we're gonna guarantee you all these sales, blah, 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 just pay us this money, and it's a 100% money-back guarantee. Now, I'm kind of, uh, like, I don't really trust everyone that comes to me and says that, but he was like, it's a 100% money-back guarantee. If you're not 100% satisfied, I'll give you all your money back. So, okay, I gave him the money, and the next day, uh, I I just, like, I was like, I wanna do the marketing myself, I'm a marketing guy, right? Mm -hmm. So, I was doing the chest flies, and I was like, something doesn't feel right. So I called him up. I was like, Hey, you know, I don't want to go through with this. And he was like, okay, no problem. Puts me on hold, stay on hold. And I'm getting irritated because I'm like, my workout's getting screwed up. So I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And then it just goes beep. And I was like, what? So I called up his other number, no answer. And that's when I found out I got scammed. I didn't hear from them again. Um, they took the money and they ran. And so now I launched the business we had a very successful launch. I think we did like, uh, you know, I was twenty one, twenty two thousand dollars $22,000 in pre-orders in the first few weeks. Wow. So it was a great launch. But I was still like, I had that in the back of my mind. I was like, this sucks, man. Uh, getting these type, this type of people out there that are just like discouraging you from trying to start something. So I went on to Udemy and I created a class on how to launch a business without getting screwed over. And it was under the alias minority mindset. The whole idea I mean you had to think different than the majority of people. I think I charged like seven bucks for it. I wasn't really trying to make money. It was just like, I was so irritated and that class got a lot of love and everyone was like, you need to start an Instagram page. Okay. So I started an Instagram page talking about the same stuff, entrepreneurship, financial education, and everyone was like, dude, your content is good. Can you please start a blog? Like deeper content. I was like, English is my second language you're not going to like my writing. So no, I can't start a blog, but I'll make videos. Like I like talking. So I just made a YouTube channel under the name minority mindset. And I just started putting out videos here and there. And it was like, I didn't know what I was doing. It was just for fun as a hobby. And I remember a few months into it. One of my buddies was like, Hey man, how much money are you making off of YouTube? I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, from your ads. He's like, aren't you making money? I was like, no, He's like, you know, you can turn monetization on. So he goes onto my channel with me, shows me that I can turn monetization on on my channel. I was like, oh, I was just doing this for fun. I didn't even know I could make money doing this. So it started off as a hobby. And now Minority Mindset has grown into something a whole lot bigger, into a full business. And it's just kind of crazy that it started off as a hobby I never expected to be making videos. I never expected to be in the financial education space. But here we are now one of the fastest growing financial education yeah. and media companies. So I'm so curious, uh, when you started the sock company, for, how old were you? Did you go to high
2: school? Did you go to college? Yeah, Did you to- think uh, you were gonna? you wanted to sell socks? Was that a, a goal?
0: <laughs> no. Like 10 years old, I'm going to be the best sock yeah, seller. Yeah, no. So I was. Uh, I was always an entrepreneur. And I started a lot of different businesses. But I never had any sort of traditional business education. And so the way I learned was by starting businesses, trying and failing. So like my first real business was when I was in college. Mm -hmm. I went into college. Well, let let me go back a little bit. I was in high school. Uh, I used to work at Indian weddings. And um, the DJs were like, hey, how about we start hosting teen parties? And I was like, okay. And now my parents don't like me doing anything that's not medical related (laughs) because they were like, you have to become a doctor. (laughs) So now I'm hosting these teen parties as a junior and senior in high school, kind of as a hobby, making a little bit of money and I was like, oh, you know, this is, this is fun, but now i got to go to college. Let me settle down, go become a doctor, and really just focus on the things that are going to make me really successful in life, mm-hmm. being a doctor. Yeah. Go to college, and I had no idea what to expect. My parents did not go to university here, and I didn't really know anyone that went to college here, so I do not know what college was like in America. I assumed that everybody goes to college to study. People spend Friday nights in the chemistry lab studying. Go to college, and everybody... Everybody's around me partying blowing their money that they <laughs> don't to, have florida state. Yeah, no, I'm kidding <laughs> I, I was at the University of Michigan and it was nuts and I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And I was like, well, I don't party I don't drink but I need something to do on friday nights So I was like instead of me, you know, just trying to waste my time How about I start hosting the parties that the majority of people are going to <laughs> so that's what I did I was a freshman I was 17 years old start knocking on doors at every club venue bar restaurant you name it on campus And some of them would say, yeah, you can host a party here, but pay me $10,000. I don't got $10,000. But some of them would say, yeah, you can host a party here. Just give us half of the revenue you generate, half of the cover charge. I was like, all right. So now I'm in business. 17, I started hosting these college parties. And that grew when I was in college to uh, essentially become a full entertainment company. We were hosting parties, concert shows. We had events every week. I was contracted by the biggest venue on campus to host our uh, college nights every week. And so that was growing. And that was how I had the cash to start investing in real estate, started investing in real estate when I was 19. And, uh, that was when now towards the end of college, I was like, Oh no, I don't want to be a doctor anymore. Now what? How much were you making then? Well, I was making probably on average two grand an event and, and, uh, you know, at least one event a week. That's my biggest event made me probably generated right around 16 grand no way yeah yeah I, mean, I was in college how did you get so many people to show up uh man it's marketing right so i was i i so what the first thing that i would do is all kind of just how do you now Get people to know about the event and get excited. So the first thing we would do is we would start promoting on Facebook. This is before you know Instagram was popular mm-hmm. and all of this. Facebook used to be the
2: thing. Wait a second, I remember. I I haven't used Facebook in a while. I remember get You would go to the the, the events. events. Yes. Wow, and you could in, you could invite other people to yep. the event. Oh my, I, re- I forgot now that. Now you know the that business was, behind it. That was a major thing I remember for me in high school yeah, because yeah. it's like, I, I remember like the be- the best parties. I wasn't a partier in high school, but <laughs> you'd want to get invited to these certain parties and they would all do it through Facebook. Yep, yep. And it was like you had to get the invite. And sometimes we'd be like, yo man, uh, could you invite me to that <laughs> thing? And they'd have to go yeah. on theirs and like yeah, invite. Because was- then you'd be in the chat. People don't do that anymore, but Facebook was used for that. Yeah.
0: It was huge. So what we would do, the first thing is we would go, if the event was in September, we would look at all of our friends' birthdays in September because Facebook tells you this. And we'd message each and every one. Hey, it's your birthday month. What we're going to do is we're going to give you free VIP access into our party. It doesn't cost me anything. Uh, but we want to celebrate with you. We're going to give you a shout-out. So the DJ is going to announce your name and say happy birthday to you at the party. They're going to say, okay. Now, if they come to celebrate at the party, they get it coming for free, but no one comes to celebrate alone. So they're gonna bring all their friends. Right. So then what would I would do is I would get uh, kind of promoters at every major campus around us. So these promoters were popular kids and all they wanted was free access into the party because if you came in as a VIP, you would get a lanyard. That would mm-hmm. cost me like $3. So I'd give you a $3 lanyard. You get to come in for free. It doesn't cost me anything. But now what you're gonna do is I'm gonna give you a stack of flyers and you're gonna tell all your friends because you know, you're that person and you wanna be that cool person. And so they would start telling all their friends to start coming to the party. So now I got like these essentially salespeople, these agents in different universities promoting. And then I would spend a hundred dollars. It used to cost me a hundred dollars to print 5,000 flyers for the party. And before the event, it was a requirement that we had to get rid of all 5,000 of these flyers. Mm -hmm. So everywhere, I mean, we would post these flyers everywhere. And so it's just word of mouth, getting things, getting people excited, coming up with different themes, different ideas, uh, partnering with different organizations, and and yeah, man. I mean, it was just it was just a matter of being creative, just like anything else.
3: But first, I want to thank our sponsor, Alex. I do the intro to the sponsors. How many times do I have to tell you, dude? But it's Coinbase.
1: Coinbase is our sponsor. Yes. Oh my. Thanks, Coinbase. Coinbase offers a trusted and very easy-to-use platform to buy, sell, and spend cryptocurrency.
3: They support the most popular digital currencies on the market and make them accessible to everyone. So if your grandma's asking you about the new cryptos, it's likely they're on Coinbase. They also have a mobile app which lets you trade securely and monitor your crypto all in one place. Well, Alex, no wonder you were so excited to do the intro. Seriously, guys, everyone here at this house loves Coinbase. I use it. Jack uses it. Graham uses it, even Bailey uses it. And it's easy to see why millions of people in over 100 different countries trust Coinbase with their digital assets. And for a limited time, new users who sign up get $10 in free Bitcoin. That's right, $10 in free Bitcoin. All you got to do is go to Coinbase.com ICH. And
1: it's for a limited time, so be sure to do it today. That's Coinbase.com ICH. Thank you so much, Coinbase, for sponsoring this episode and back, back to, to the, the podcast. podcast. Could there have been any liability issue, like if your oh parties God. get a little too crazy? You I know, became like a underage.
0: bouncer every night. Yeah, I was a bouncer every day, so oh. it it was. I mean, look, I'm gonna tell you, I'll be completely straight up. It was dangerous, and that's one of the reasons why I got out. Uh, because the first party I did, there was an issue with um, there was some uh, beef going on between some people that came and, and me and my DJ friend. Someone pulled a gun. No so, way. Yeah. Uh, or and so you know we, we had to get out of there. Um, every night I was a bouncer. I, I you know i got into a lot of kind of altercations um i didn't really, really? no one didn't yeah. like me I, I was i was able to get along with everybody but there's people that didn't like each other so i had to you know kind of separate that and I, I mean just to kind of put it in perspective uh you know i went to a club one day uh to go talk to the owner because we were doing an event soon i was like you know where's where's this guy and he's like oh he got stabbed last night so you know i'm i'm in place for him i was like whoa, whoa. so that was one of the things that like, we always kept a knife on us um at the DJ booth. So it was, a, it was a rough business, man. Like, it wasn't easy. But for me, like, I'm just getting started. It was a hustle. And that was kind of what set... And I knew I did not want to be in this business anymore. I mean, I, I didn't like the partying. I didn't like the drinking. I didn't like the environment. But for me, it was like, I'm making money for the first time. And it, it, it taught me a lot. And it gave me the education. taught me how to speak with people. And that kind of set me up for a whole lot of other things. But, yeah, I mean, in terms of like liabilities, you know, I'm an attorney now. I I shake my head because it's like dude like the dumb things that I did like I am so fortunate that like you know things worked out and yeah I mean it's it's unfortunate you know when people get too intoxicated they do some dumb things and Mm. it's just I don't like that industry which is why I got as far away from it as possible I don't like it but it was it was kind of like the only thing that I knew and that's how I started
1: but six figures in college doing that as a side gig while studying is just it's insane I was working a lot man
0: yeah, awesome. no kidding. How many hours are you putting into that? A lot, man. I'll, let me put it in perspective. Yeah. Like Fridays. If I had an event on a Friday, I'm a class all day. I'll be planning the event. So from morning to evening, you know, I'm I'm just working. Party starts at 10 p.m. So 8 p.m., I'm gonna go to the venue and start setting up. Party starts at 10. I'm there till 2. After 2, that's when everything gets uh kind of torn down. Make sure everything is okay. And then 3 3 30. I gotta make sure the DJs get paid. Everyone gets paid. 3 3 30, we leave. Probably get some food. Go to sleep around 4, 4.30 in the morning. Wow. And yeah. then the next morning, Saturday, and I'm working in the wedding business. People get married on Saturdays. So then I got to be setting up early in the morning. So I got to be at the venue probably 8 a.m. to start setting up. And now I'm at the venue until midnight because you got to set up, go through the entire event, make sure the event is all good. Midnight, you're done. Now you tear down. And then now you go home, you know, 1, 2 a.m., which is now Sunday morning. Wake up the next morning, start studying and start the next week, start planning for the next week. So, I mean, I wasn't sleeping much, but it was, you know, it's that hustle you got to be willing to put in that I put in. And that that was kind of like how I learned, how I started. And then it built kind of the whole foundation for everything else. So it's, it's kind of right. weird that, you know, I never thought that this event planning thing would have ever become anything. But it was, it was a lot of education that I got
2: out of it. Yeah, For the work ethic, though, were you always like that? Or did you have an example of like <laughs> your, your parents worked really hard, so you kind of took after yeah. that? Or
0: did So my parents came to this country with very little. Yeah. My dad came to this country with uh, less than $100. Didn't know the language, didn't really know the people, didn't know the culture. So he had to bust his butt. And he always told me, you know, I didn't spend a lot of time with my parents when I was growing up because they were always working. And my dad always told me there's no such thing as a sick day. If you take a sick day, you're not working. You're not working. You're not getting paid. You don't get paid. You don't got money to eat. So I that told you, Jack. <laughs> you told me that. <laughs> yeah, Mr. That vacation in oh, Maui geez. next weekend.
2: Yeah, jeez.
0: So yeah, i, mean, I kind of I I saw that and the hustle. I always wanted to give back to my parents. I yeah. wanted to give back to my family, sure. and even my grandparents. My grandparents were refugees. Mm-hmm. Um, my family is from a state in India called Punjab, and in 1947, my grandparents were on the left side, the west side of Punjab. And the state of Punjab was severed by the government. And what they said was, if you're a Sikh, a person of my religion, and you're on the west side of Punjab, you got to migrate east or you're going to be killed. And so my grandparents picked up and they ran. My grandfather, all he had was a shirt on his back and a sword in his hand. They they saw a lot of rooting, looting. They saw a lot of rioting. Mm-hmm. Um, he got attacked uh, by a mob. He saw his uncle get his head chopped oh open right gosh. ahead of him. And uh, yeah, so they put him on a horse came to the other side of India now, didn't even have shoes on his feet. He lost his shoes along the way and now had to start up from scratch. So then, you know, I I grew up with my parents and my grandparents. Um, They lived with me. So like they kind of always told me this, the things that they had to go through. I saw what my parents had to go through. Um, You know, I didn't grow up poor or broke or anything like that, but I saw the meaning of hard work. And so I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I knew I was going to be willing to work hard to get it because I didn't have this sort of, you know, business background, but I was willing to work to learn it. And so uh, that was kind of the foundation. And then when I got to college, my my buddy of mine, a DJ friend of mine, he gave me an audio CD, audio CD by uh, Eric Thomas, a motivational speaker. Mm. And man, I used to listen to the thing every day. And that was like, okay, I got to work hard. And then once you start working hard, you start to see more opportunities. Then you start to realize, okay, how do I work smart? <laughs> you got to know how to do, do both that yeah. we can get the best results out of your hard work.
1: But you must have like like how did you learn about the financial education because you said you bought your first rental property at 19
0: yeah so this was at the bottom of the 2008 crash oh, and you probably yeah. remember yeah, yeah. and yeah. so so I'm guessing this was from your your working through college right yep yep so I had some money put away okay. and I'm in Michigan and Michigan was hit hard yep. GM Chrysler and Ford are the biggest employers and they were back then GM and bankrupt Chrysler went bankrupt. Ford was on the verge of bankruptcy. So Michigan was hit hard. I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know any real estate investors. I didn't know what real estate investing was. I started reading business books, money books, and every book said wealthy people invest in real estate. I don't know what that meant, but I was like, okay, this sounds cool. Let me do that too. So now here I am. I'm 19. I'm studying for the medical college admission test, the MCAT. And you know i read these books about real estate. And every time I take a break, I go into Yahoo Finance, and the top articles are always real estate, Market is at rock bottom. I was like, okay, so what do I do about this? I was like, you yeah, know, I want to do something. So I told my dad, it's like, Dad, I want to start investing in real estate. I was like, you're stupid. Go study. Become a doctor. You know, he didn't have any financial education. They wanted the best for me, and I was like, you know, but I want to do this. So I started calling up different people, agents, and I was like, okay, I want to start looking at real estate. And I found this condo on sale, a one thousand square foot condo, one bedroom, one bath, in a great location, next to a lot of stores, a lot of businesses nearby. And it was on sale for $8,400. And I was like, okay, oh, I, I don't know anything better. I looked at some other properties a $30,000 home, a $40,000 home. Like it, it, it wasn't anything out of the ordinary. So I saw it. I was like, okay, this is pretty good. doesn't need a lot of work. Um, I put an offer for $4,000. And we started settling. They came down to seven. <laughs> and then they said, uh, there's a bidding, there's another offer on the table. And I was like, okay, well, I don't want to lose this property. So I made an offer for eight. I was like, I'll give you a little bit more kind of uh, negotiated and they accepted. So I bought the condo for eight, earned a few thousand dollars worth of work and I rented it out for 600. And now all of a sudden I'm I'm in business. I'm like, wait, what is this? This is is passive income. Like it took me a while to understand like the hang of things. I went through a lot of crap. But once I got the hang of it, I was like, wait, I'm making like a little bit of money here and I don't got to really do anything. Like it's, it's like I own the asset, the assets paying me. Why was I never taught this? Why did our schools never teach us about investing? I, I mean, I went through. I was a good kid in school. Mm-hmm. I, I, I bust my butt. I checked all the boxes, but I never learned a thing about passive income. I never learned a thing about investing. I never learned a thing about wealth. I never learned a thing about financial freedom. Why? What the heck am I doing in school? And Everyone says, "Oh, you don't got to worry about money. Money doesn't matter. Don't 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 think about the money. Just do follow your passion. If money doesn't matter, then tell your boss not to pay you." Right. Like, I mean, it has some, like the reason why you're going to school is to become successful. That way you can be financially free. And the way for you to really not worry about money is if you're wealthy, that you don't really care about money because then, you know, you've already become wealthy. And so that's kind of the real disconnect that made me really upset. And I was like, this is something's wrong here. There's a reason why so many people are broke. There's a reason why so many people are struggling with their money. It's because we, we are insecure about our money. We don't want to talk about it. And then we put up smoke screens. Don't worry about money. Don't talk about money. But I'm saying let's let's change that. How about we start talking about money? Let's get financially educated and let's see how now we can take care of ourselves. We can take care of our, our, our families and our community by becoming wealthy ourselves. Because if you understand money, you can do a whole lot more and you don't got to have all that sort of stress. Now I agree, money isn't everything. It's one part of our lives. But if you don't have money, it can really impact the rest of your life. Right. So that's where it's like, you know, uh, the whole financial education importance really started hitting me there because
3: I was like, this is so screwed up. But first, I want to thank Ladder for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. All the recent holiday festivities and getting to spend time with my friends and family, it really reminded me of how fragile life really is. Plus with the rising cost of living and buying a house soon, I really don't want to leave my partner with a huge financial burden. And on that note, it makes sense why people get life insurance, especially term coverage, which is surprisingly affordable. And why not pay a little bit each month to protect the ones that you love? If you're asking yourself this question, choose Ladder. Now, Ladder basically took the
1: life insurance industry, flipped it upside down, and then shook out all of the inefficiencies.
3: Jack, I wish I could do that to you because you've been taking way too many breaks. Not the time or the place, Alex. Anyway, before Ladder, if you wanted life insurance, you would have to drive all the way across town, sit through some boring sales pitch, and fill out a mountain of paperwork just to wait six to eight weeks to see if you've been approved. And now with Ladder, you can get fast and affordable term life insurance without ever leaving home. Because if you apply for $3 million or less in coverage, it's all 100% digital. No doctors, no
1: needles, no paperwork. So if you're between the ages of 20 and 60, which statistically you should be based off of our viewer demographics, and you want to work with a company that is revolutionizing the life insurance industry, choose Ladder. Go to ladderlife.com slash iced coffee today to see if you are instantly approved. That's ladderlife.com slash iced coffee. Ladderlife.com slash iced coffee. Thank you so much, Ladder, for sponsoring this episode and back Back to to the the podcast. podcast
0: the biggest liability for young people nowadays, millennials, is student loans, right? It's like student loans are what we are supposed to get in order to get educated so we can get a good job. But then I started lurking more into that. And the number one asset for the United States government are student loans. way, something's not adding up here because the government keeps talking about how student loans are a problem. We have the student loan crisis. Millennials cannot buy homes because student loans. Millennials cannot afford to build wealth because student loans. But at the same time, the government's saying it's our number one asset, it is the thing that is funding so many government mm. operations. And now they're saying it's a problem. Like, it just doesn't make sense. And mm. that's when I was like, you have to start doing your own education. And you need to start thinking outside of the box, right? That that idea of thinking differently than the majority of people. And that's when I really started kind of going out of my way to learn things that the majority of people don't talk about. They were not told to think about.
1: Kudos to you, man, for... Uh, Going on your own and finding a rental property without any like influence (laughs) of your parents or anything at the age of 19 while going to school, studying probably full time while working and doing this insane like business that you were doing on the side throwing parties. That's actually that's that's amazing. And also that seven or eight thousand dollar house. What was your like monthly mortgage payment on that? Like sixty. What a lot of cash! What cash. a lot of cash! Yeah. Oh, what mortgage? are you getting a mortgage. Mortgage on? Oh I- yeah, they would-,
0: they would actually. I talked to the yeah. bank. I talked because I, I I called up a bank. I was like, I want to get a mortgage. The how much is the no. home? Eight thousand. They were like, yeah. We th- what they told me I remember they were like, we can't give you a mortgage on a home unless it's at least thirty grand. And I was like, oh okay. Jack,
2: consider this. Let's say eight grand. So he's gonna put down <laughs> a thousand dollars and then on seven thousand dollars, let's just say this, he's I, gonna pay a five hundred dollar appraisal, I, uh he's oh, yeah. gonna pay a uh, five hundred bucks to the title company. He's gonna pay so much money on the back end, uh I would say I, your expenses would be like twenty five hundred dollars. My to just a couple dollars more. I, uh, I overlooked that. Yeah, yeah. that's
1: uh, so. So you were basically
0: making what six hundred dollars a month? You said <laughs> I rented out for six hundred, and half of that was was profit.
2: You know, what's crazy. Uh, I remember back then in Detroit, they were giving away the the, the famous one dollar homes. Yeah, and you could buy a home for a dollar. And believe it or not, they had such a difficult time even with that because people didn't want to fix up the home. So the stipulation was that uh, you could buy a home for a dollar, but you had five years to fix it up. And it usually it's, oh, gosh, I'm guessing it needed between probably ten and $25,000 yeah. to fix them up. Yeah. At least.
0: Right. A lot of them were actually just just full demolitions. You had to break down the home for it to be worth anything. Yeah. And that's where people were like, it's yeah. not worth it. Yeah. These, these houses had
2: like no copper piping. There were no fixtures. It was basically just... Uh, a shell of a house, basically just mm-hmm. the walls and a foundation that was probably cracked. But, uh, yeah, a dollar to buy a house. you be all in like 35 grand.
1: That's amazing. And what
0: do you think those like dollar homes would be worth now? Well, I bought, I bought a lot, a number of homes. So I started buying a number and like, I'll put it in perspective. <laughs> I took my mom on a, some of these, uh, rental property tours. And, <laughs> uh, these were $5,000 homes. And my mom was like, Oh my God, it's disgusting. Don't buy this home. And, those homes that were five are probably worth close to a hundred now. They probably needed like 15 worth of work, 10, 15. Like it was like a broken carpet. I mean, uh, like dirty carpet, ugly walls. But yeah, I mean, a lot of the homes that I bought then are worth five to 10 X what I bought them for, which is just, I mean, it is insane. Like, cause I didn't really know what I was doing. I was fortunate regarding the time, like when I started buying, but like, yeah, I made a ton of mistakes. I I, I made a lot of screw ups, but you know, that's how you learn. Detroit
2: was one of the areas that was so hard hit. It was the hardest hit, I think, anywhere in the US. Yeah. I think uh, Florida, I think Miami was like the other the other place, but, but Detroit was the hardest hit area in the US. And I remember back then that a lot of people thought Detroit would never come back because they thought, well, if if Ford goes out of business, uh, these car cars, like like that's that was the entire job market basically just yeah. was decimated. Yeah. And they're thinking, who's ever gonna come to Detroit anymore? What's what's the what's the appeal? It's got it went it got so bad. And properties were were foreclosed on for years, like five years. Yeah. Um.
0: And we're just in such disrepair that people were like, even the city, even 6, the city went homes. bankrupt. Yeah. Detroit went bankrupt. Yeah. It was nuts, man. Yeah. I mean, and it's it's unfortunate. All the the stuff that people went through, the things that the the people of Detroit, all the crap that they yeah. went through. The school system still is going through a lot of
2: problems. Even, are, are, even now. So I visited with Kevin. Uh, I think it was three years ago. And even then, I mean, there's, there's, there's some parts that just have not recovered. Yeah. It's, there was a, a right.
1: proper house fire. Yes. That someone lit on their own, right? Multiple
2: houses. So we went to uh, – well, we were driving down the freeway, and we literally see this, like, fume of smoke that's piling up. And Kevin's like, you should go see what that is. And so we drive down there, and sure enough, it's this house that's on fire. Like, and I'd never seen a house on fire before. Where like, there's actually flames like oh, wow. coming out of yeah. the roof and everything, and it's nuts. And we got there before the um the like the fire truck or anything got there, and so we're so Kevin's talking to the neighbors. I'm like, you know, we just watch from the car, uh, see what's going on. Now this is an empty house, by the way. So this yeah. is not like someone's house that was burned down. It was in this community of maybe a hundred, maybe a hundred houses, and I want to say probably eighty percent of them were vacant. Wow, well, yeah. nobody there. Um. But sure enough, Kevin starts talking to people, and they say, "Oh yeah, I know this is a, a, another one. This day we have someone, someone around here who's bored, and they go and just burn down these houses." And so we're like, "What? That's their, horrible!" Th- it's like that. That's their. That's their. So anyway, so we this house is burning down, and meanwhile, a house like I don't know five houses away starts going up in flames as well. I'm like what are you, you saw this all
0: happening, yeah?
2: Oh my god! Oh yeah, it's all on video. It's all on video. And so then the fire truck gets there. They're putting out this house. The other house starts going up in flames. So then they're like, they call for more, and they start going to the other house. And then about 30 minutes later, another house burns down. And uh, again, they're all vacant houses, yeah. and they're all in disrepair. So then Kevin starts talking to the people, and they say, yeah, it's, it's probably someone who's watching right now, because this seems to be a common occurrence where people will be bored, they'll burn down a house, and then they'll watch the, the fire get put out basically. Now I'm looking at some of these houses, and thinking, well, you know, for for the owner, if they have insurance on the house, I mean, they'll they'll be able to rebuild it. And a lot of these, I think, were at the point where it would be hard to salvage, yeah, probably. So they'd have to be torn down. It was actually, it was
0: actually a common problem where people yeah. would uh, their homes would get burned down for the insurance claim. It was a big yeah. problem because that's the only way people were able to get money in some instances, and and oh, yeah. people were doing that and. It became a huge scandal, and it was it was a big thing, man. It was yeah. horrible.
2: So I wouldn't be surprised because uh, the thing is, like, it would cost to to rebuild a house like that, like two hundred fifty grand, maybe three hundred thousand dollars. But a house in the area would sell for thirty five. So it doesn't make you are building a three hundred thousand dollar home in an area that's worth fifty max, brand new, doesn't make sense. So what do you do? You're paying property taxes on a, on, a, mm-hmm. on a, basically an empty parcel of land. that You can't do anything with. You can't sell it. You have a mortgage on it. Are you going to claim bankruptcy? So I wouldn't be surprised. If, the if property taxes are not
0: cheap in Detroit. What are they? Are they? Like uh, I bought a home in Detroit one time. I think I paid thirty for it, thirty grand, and my property taxes were thirty five hundred dollars a year. Wow! Yeah, it was wow. a lot because so nobody was paying property taxes, and so if you were, especially if you were an investor, so I made a, oh. <laughs> well, I don't know if I made a mistake. I did the right thing. I registered my property as an investment, as a rental property, and everybody everybody told me don't do that they're like nobody checks nobody cares i'm like i don't like to play these games i like to do things the right way so i filed it as a a rental property and then they jack up your your taxes makes sense 10 i mean i I don't even know how much it was a lot but but in general property taxes in detroit are a lot because a lot of people were not paying and so i mean it was it was expensive uh but you know it, it was detroit's been through a lot of hardship. But the people of Detroit are tough, man. They are. The sense of community there was so strong,
2: unlike any other area. Detroit like are LA, hustlers. Yeah, L.A. people close off the door. Like I didn't really know any of my neighbors in L.A. This is like that's the way it is. But Detroit, like everyone knows each other. Yeah, uh, there's a strong sense of community. The neighbors actually hang out. They they look over each other. It's 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 pretty cool. Yeah, man, Detroit hustles yeah, hard. They do.
1: <laughs> what was it like going through the 2008 recession in Detroit? Like, what did you see in your own
0: personal life? How was how things were affected? I mean, personally, like I was young. I yeah. was in high school until 2009, so I didn't really know what was going on because I wasn't even into finance until after, right? So, like 08, 09. Like I remember people talked about stock market crash whatever i don't know what that is i put a little bit of money into ford because uh i liked ford mustangs yeah. and i couldn't get one so i i it was like what's the next best thing let me put a little bit of money into the ford uh stock and so uh that was really all that i knew i did not i didn't know too much of what was going on i remember in college there was a big thing of people not being able to get jobs after cuz like the job market was horrible so like it was not uncommon for people to go to college graduate and then say I'm unemployed. Like that was just like the common thing to do. So that's what I remember. And, you know, just the real estate market. Like I remember, like I I didn't know, I I didn't know what was normal and what was not like to me, a $30,000 home in a good area was like normal. I didn't seem like anything out of the ordinary because that's all I saw. And then when I saw homes go up to like 50 grand, I was like, I don't want to buy that. That's too much money that's too much money. And now those homes are like, you know, 150, but like, it's like, I didn't know what was going on. And you know, Michigan has really come back. um, Especially even on the rental real estate side, man, real estate properties are are really gone up. um, Not just in the 2020, 2021 era, but like, like after like things have really established Michigan businesses have really diversified things have really come back in Michigan. It's it's uh, it's cool. And Detroit is sweet, man. Detroit is cool. Like it is a lot of cool things happening in Detroit. So Next time you're over there, hit me up, man. Oh, absolutely. So we'll, we'll go look at some real estate over there.
2: It was fun. I I really enjoyed my visit there.
0: Yeah, true, so, it's cool. So it's, you st- it's not yeah. Vegas, but it's cool. So how many properties do you own now? Um, something the dozens. I got uh, dozens. But, yeah, but um, a mix of single family homes, mix of uh multifamily. I I did own a mixed use, uh, which is like you know mix of commercial real estate, mm-hmm. and then um I was actually gonna buy uh an a commercial office building for the first time um, last year, but then I, I decided not to, I was going to, I was going to um, have part of it be our office. And then the other part would be other offices. Mm-hmm. But then I, you know, just office mortgages work very differently than reasonable uh, residential mortgages. So uh, I couldn't get a fixed rate for longer than five years. Yep. It, was, it was a five year. And then they had to re 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 uh, re re-adjust. Yeah, yeah, readjust. readjust. and I was like, Oh, that, I don't know. Like, uh, interest rates are going to go up. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to happen to the office market. Like if this, one of these tenants leave, I don't know how long it's going to take me to find another tenant. So, that kind of just I don't know what was uh, you know, the office chain market is changing. So, I I kind of focusing on the residential side. Yeah. So, apartments, single families and in Detroit, so I was talking to a, a different guy yesterday and the Detroit market is Michigan market in general, not just Detroit, but the Michigan market, Midwest market is different because uh there's strong cash flow markets. Where you buy a property, let's say buy a home, single family home for 150 grand, that home's going to rent up for 1500 easily, um, and 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 so now you're you're going to profit if you buy the home cash, half maybe more than half, um, and so it's strong cash flow. You don't see the same appreciation that you would see in some other places like maybe Vegas or mm-hmm. Austin. Uh, but you see strong cash flow. And so it's a very different, like the, the mark, the real estate investors in Michigan are very different than the real estate investors in like, you know, your hotter places in like yeah, Texas, right. Arizona, Vegas, like people are, and those are looking for how much can I sell this property for in a few years? Whereas in Michigan, they're saying how much cash flow can I generate? Yep. So it's a very different game. Wouldn't there come a time like kind of
1: soon after graduating mm-hmm. where you'd have like five or six investment properties and you'd be making, you know, a solid like five grand or so per month?
0: Yeah, but you know, is, is I mean, do you want to stop there and retire? I mean, I'm like 22 years old. I want to live on the beach for the rest of my life. Right. No, I'm, just, <laughs> I want, I'm just saying. I, like, I want to. I wanted to do something bigger, and you know, and and I enjoy entrepreneurship, right? It's mm-hmm. not just for money. It, it's really like I like entrepreneurship because entrepreneurs are in the business of solving problems. I like the idea of solving problems. I love working with entrepreneurs, um, and I just love that mentality of entrepreneurship. So like that's why I'm investing in entrepreneurs now. It's like something that I enjoy doing. So for me, entrepreneurship is more than just like you know how much money can I make? Because it's how do I solve a problem? I mean, I love the idea of just talking business and networking and and coming up with business ideas and trying to take a product that solves a problem to market and doing all that. So I enjoy it, um, and I I like having the fun. It's like one of the things that I talk about is uh, retirement is stupid. The, the traditional concept of retirement: I'm gonna work a job for forty five years just so I can ultimately quit and sit on my butt for the rest of my life. Doesn't make any sense, and that's why people say. Uh, those who retire early die early because when you sit on your butt, when you're 65 years old and do nothing, you have no purpose, you know, you feel miserable. So I, I love entrepreneurship and I and I work a lot, but like I don't think I would change what I do. Like this is what I want to do for the rest of my life because I love entrepreneurship. I love working with entrepreneurs. I, I, I just enjoy it. So that, that's what I would do. I mean, that's why, you know, you, you never stop.
2: Yeah, so you started the channel then. So well, first of all, getting a getting a law degree, how difficult was that? Not as hard as building a YouTube channel. Uh, oh, not uh, taking the like passing channel. the passing the bar exam and everything. Did you? Did you go? I did. Like, I passed wow. the bar. I did
0: everything, yeah. and you know that was that was tough. Um, but you know the the difference between starting, let's say, a YouTube channel or a business, then becoming an attorney is uh, becoming an attorney. It's it's you read a textbook, you analyze it. And then you break it down, right? So it's like it's it's in a textbook. Now you got to be able to think, but it, it it's it's you if you read this and you understand this, you can answer the question with business or YouTube. It doesn't work like that. Like you could try something. It might not work. like there's no you either do this or you, you don't do this or you, you have to be creative. So that's what makes um YouTube difficult is you know it it you have to be a lot more creative. You have to be willing to take risks, you have to be willing to try things. And if you don't have that ability to kind of try and that creative mindset, it's going to be much harder for you, especially mm. to build on YouTube. Got it. So when you started monetizing
2: on YouTube in the very beginning, how much were you making back then? Oh
0: man, I think it took
2: me <laughs>
0: a year and almost a month when I got my first check. Cause it took me a long time before you I got to get to a hundred dollars. Uh, yeah. Credit. It took yeah. me a year and, and uh, almost a year. So let's just say a year and a half. And my first check was $2,400, something around there. So it took me a year and a half to make twenty four hundred bucks. Wow! And then at what point did you start saying
2: that you're making enough on this to really spend time on it, or were you just doing it, doing it for fun? It was it still for like, fun. Yeah. I was
0: still working on other businesses, so I was okay. like this was just like something I was just doing. I was like, okay, whatever. I'm, I'm making a little bit of money here because I mean, if I was an attorney, I'd be charging two fifty an hour, mm. uh, you know, versus twenty five hundred dollars over a year. So I mean, I was just doing this kind of for fun, and then it was really. The sock business was doing well. It was making good money. Um, and we were working on a lot of different deals. But then uh, we had a patent that was denied. And now I was like, okay. What, what sort so of So it was a water-resistant sock. How, how can you, can you patent that? How did you that? make that So As
2: well? Uh, it's I was, a good idea. How is nobody... Seriously, how many times do you get your... Because getting your sock wet is probably the most annoying thing. Exactly. That's the worst. Because then I have to switch out my socks. There's no easy way to dry it. Yeah, exactly. I've stepped like... Sometimes like Bailey's water dish
0: will kind of spill it. And I step on like a little bit. I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's the most annoying thing, right? Yeah. So I got the idea. I was taking a, um, a speech class in college. And one of the classes was you need to pitch a product to the class. I was like, that's easy. I love coming up with product ideas. I do this with my friends all the time. So I put it off, I put it off, I put it off. One day I was late to class and um, I picked up my backpack and I started running and it was raining and I stepped on a pothole on the way and my foot soaked, got to class, my feet's wet and I was like, oh man, like whatever, like uh, just sit down. And Mm -hmm. the teacher's like, Jaspreet, are you ready? Ready for what? She's like, today's your day to present. I was like, oh no, I forgot. So I'm standing in front of class. I was like, Jaspreet, think of something, think of something, anything first thing that comes to my mind were my wet socks. So I just pitched this idea of uh, wet socks to the class. And um, and I was like, well, that's kind of a cool idea. Why, why doesn't this exist? Just like what you said. So then I thought about it and I was like, well, this could potentially give me the scalability and all this other stuff that I was looking for. So then um, I started working at it and you know, I started looking, learning about the sock industry, started talking to sock manufacturers and they had no idea about how to do that. So then I started learning about the actual textiles. So I started talking to textile engineers and cotton producers and how do we not produce this type of technology? Now, this waterproofing technology exists already, but it doesn't exist in it didn't exist in socks. So I was like, how about we integrate this waterproof technology into socks? So I was kind of working with textile engineers, sock manufacturers trying to put this together, and that's essentially what we did. We we created a yarn that had this waterproof technology into it, and then when you put it on the sock, it would repel water. And so it was doing really good. We were working with, you know, some Schools, we're working with a lot of athletes, working with a lot of different people. Uh, we actually, um, I was reached out to by a lot of venture capital people, and one company was trying to get us in contact with Under Armour, but they were like, you know, we need to make sure you get a secured patent before I present this. And because like my goal wasn't to be in the sock business, I wanted to license the technology. Mm. And the whole business of selling it was just proof of concept that we now we can take this to bigger brands and say, hey, license this from us. And uh, then when the patent got denied, because they're like, it's not an original enough idea because the waterproofing exists. You're just putting it into socks. When the patent got denied, that's and I was like, okay, what do I want to do? Do I want to be in the you know business of just building a brand, building a sock company? Or do I want to be in the business of you know doing something else? So, Minority Mindset wasn't making any money. Sock company was making good money. But I was like, what do I do? And so I was like, let me start putting a little bit more time into Minority Mindset. Because I love... Like the financial education side of things, so I mean, this this is like fun. I, mm-hmm. I could do this all day and night yeah. long. You know, socks. Yeah, I love the idea of building a business, but you know, how how excited can you really be about socks? So I started spending more time in Minority Mindset and uh, started to grow. This is probably around one or two hundred thousand subscribers. So we're making a little bit of money. I don't remember how much, but a little bit. Um, but I was like, you know, let me let me try to just just turn this into something else. So that's when uh, we started adding other things to it built the newsletter, built the blog, built other you know things around there. And that's kind of how we started. Isn't there a way to patent that sock idea though? Cuz I'm going
2: back through like you can't waterproof that, but couldn't you find a way to like waterproof a sock with a sole at the bottom of it that makes it not slippery and like something like like you put like little rubber things that, aren't there easy ways around patents.
0: You know Patents are not easy to deal with. That's why patent attorneys cost a lot yeah. of money. But if you want to try it, man, go for it. I'll support you. <laughs> That's what we
2: have to do. Some more. Because I've seen, but I've also seen the flip side where patents um are bitten. I, I don't want to say patents are worthless, but then you have to spend money defending them. Because someone, let's say you have like the rubber soles at the bottom mm-hmm. and that gets patented. Some other company would be like, well, it's not rubber, it's this other material, and yeah. because it's not exactly that, then technically we could do it. They're going to change one thing. They change one thing, and then you have to sue them, yeah. and then it's like a 50-50 if you even win. Is it worth defending? No. Yeah. So. so
1: so how much money were you making from your sock company right when you decided to spend more time into oh, minority man. mindset? I don't
0: remember exactly, but it was, it, was, it was a good amount of money. It was in the six figures. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I was making pretty solid money. Like, and I, I was a really young kid. I was had no expenses. Net,
2: net or gross? Yeah, yeah.
0: I was, I was taken away. So it, it was good. That's
2: good, good money there. Yeah, that's, like, that's a lot. E- Even, let's say, 150 That's a significant amount of money to be like, oh, I'm not going to, yeah. I don't want to
1: sell socks. Well, you also way. had real estate. And like you said, yeah, money isn't but the end goal. Well, that's what I was doing, right? I was taking the money and
0: buying real estate. That's all I was doing. I, right. I, I was living very small. I wasn't spending money. Yeah, but, I, I wasn't, I was just, all I was doing was buying real estate.
1: I think it would be super fascinating if you could go over your income over time and how it's changed Ooh. from certain like sources to other sources.
0: Well, let's see. I go back to high school. In high school, I was working um, in the wedding business. Mm-hmm. And when I first started, I used to charge $50 for an hour or whatever it was to me. I used to play drum, called the toll. And um, I, st- I would charge $50 to do that. And then I started working on Auntie Anne's Pretzels I was making $5.45 an hour because I was under 18, so they were like, well, we can pay you less, even <laughs> though I was doing all the work. The manager would sit there, take the landline phone, wow. go talk uh, to someone else, and I'm sitting here, run- running the whole store, making $5 and some change, but I was like, whatever I learned. Mm-hmm. And then towards, the, you know, when I started college, uh, I was probably charging 200, 250 bucks to go work at weddings for an hour. If I worked the whole day, 600 bucks or so, 250 for like one or two hours and $600 for the whole day. Um, and, and then, what was that?
1: Was that like, uh, video no, stuff? So I, the,
0: worked, I worked, um, I played the drum, druming? the drum, and then I used to work with DJs, so I would help them set up, help them tear down. I pretty much just kind of be their assistant. Help right. Them all just
1: that. making sure everything goes smooth. Everything goes smooth. A, yeah,
0: okay. So I did that. Um, and then. I was running parties. Well, the first event was a f- flop. Uh, I lost a lot of money on the first event. But then I started to grow. Uh, uh, towards the end of college is when it really started to ramp up. So now we're talking, you know, a couple grand an event. And uh, then got into wholesaling. Again, kind of starting over. So now, you know, a little bit of income from real estate. But then you start wholesaling. Wholesaling um, and selling real estate. So wholesaling didn't make me any money for a little while. Then it started making me, um, you know, you're another 10,000 something a month or something like that, you know, um, something like that. And then uh, from wholesaling uh, again, now I'm just trying to buy more real estate. And then I had, I man, I got to like think about this, which businesses that I did after what, because I had an Amazon company when I was in college, I started a t-shirt company because uh, this was like, Like, pretty much my whole idea of entrepreneurship was whenever there's an opportunity, try to solve that problem. What about throughout your YouTube channel? Because when you started,
2: you posted consistently. I think it was, what, twice a week? Uh, Yeah, I think I started twice a week. Then moved to three. Now we're at
0: five. Yep. Monday through Friday, right? Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday. So we got a little break on Tuesday Uh, and Saturday. okay. (laughs) Okay. How is your business broken down on
2: YouTube? Because I know you have the channel. Yep. You have the newsletter. Right. Uh, what
0: else is there that I'm missing? So we have the channel. Yeah. We have the newsletter like you talked about. We have two different newsletters. We have like a daily breakdown of the um, the market. So every day, let's say it's Tuesday, you'll get a breakdown of what happened on Monday. And this is like a fun, witty newsletter you can read in like five minutes that will break down everything that you need to know in the market because no one wants to read Wall Street Journal, CNBC, Yahoo Finance, all that. So it's a breakdown of all that. Then we have more of an educational newsletter. Uh, so we have these two newsletters that go out then we have our blog. Um, so our blog, we, we have like maybe a dozen or so writers right now. Um, these are people that write content daily for our website. A dozen people. Wow. yeah. And um, but most, of them, most of them are not full-time. These are okay. like um, freelancers. Uh, we have our editors are full-time that are reviewing them, but most of the, the writers are not full-time. Um, but they're writing articles. Um, so our website has content daily. Um, and then we have... Uh, obviously sponsorships, but then we have, a, we just launched our, an academy. We call it Market Insiders. So it's like a weekly coaching mm-hmm. for stocks and real estate. We plan on adding crypto soon and it's super affordable. I mean, that was the main thing How for me. How much you charge for that? $47 a month. How many people do you have in there? So we are just started. Okay. We, we just finished up our beta um, and when we... We launched it, and I think within a month and some change, we had just over 100 users okay. uh, or 100 people that are in the program. But that was a brand new thing that we just started because we had some other education programs that we did. But I wanted to make something that was super affordable because those education programs were great. They were like for the business side. I mean, they were doing great, like multiple six figures. But like, uh, it didn't provide me kind of the goal exactly that I was looking for because like, even in business, we see a lot more benefit when people have true coaching where it's like, it's not just I like, give you a class. We give you consistent, like every week you get access to more information. That way you have like checks and balances. Someone's making sure that you you know, you know have someone to talk to and you keep getting that refresher or what's going on mm-hmm. as opposed to you just throwing it on you and you doing it yourself. So that's the whole idea behind Market Insiders where it's like learn how to invest in stocks from somebody who has six figures or seven figures. So we're talking hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in the market. Someone has been doing this for a long time and you can learn from them. And every week you get access to coaching, get access to your community. Uh, We have our own Discord, and you get a free class as soon as you join, and you get access to all the previous recordings. And like, it's like, for me, it's to make it a no-brainer, where it's like, if that's still not enough, try it for free. You have a free 10-day trial. Go through the entire program. Then you can see if it's right for you or not. And if if you hate it, just quit. I'm curious for the newsletter. What made you want to start a newsletter? Well, we had a financial education newsletter first, where it was kind of like just providing more education, more in-depth stuff. And then um, I started to see more opportunity on the financial news that are meaning like the market briefs. We call it um, um, our market breakdown, what we do. We started to see opportunity there because... A lot of other newsletters started to kind of get some traction. So there were things like, you know, Morning Brew, Mm -hmm. The Hustle, Phenomize. So a lot of other things started popping up. And we saw Robin Hood Snacks and doing this. We're like, we should really have one for ourselves because, you know, we're talking a lot on the financial side. You did this about a year ago, I think it was, This is more than a year ago. More than a year Yeah, yeah. So this is a little while ago. Um, And so we started just, just doing this as kind of like, here's a way for you to learn about what's happening in the world without having to spend hours trying to decipher it and actually real time. Because let's say I'm making a video on it, it might take me a week, just depending on if I'm not here or whatever's yeah, going sure. on, don't miss out. So that was the first thing that we did. And we yeah. didn't have a way to monetize that because we didn't really know what we were going to do. But then um, started to realize that sponsors wanted to monetize the newsletters. So you know you get the, the newsletter for free and then we work with sponsors to now put how, advertisements in How there. many
2: uh, users did you have to get in the newsletter to start getting sponsors like that? I think you can start getting sponsors at like 20,000 subscribers. I was speaking with uh, the owner of Morning Brew. This was a while ago. And it blew my mind just how, uh, first of all, how lean they ran the business. Yeah. But also just how smart they were and how strategic everything was. So I yeah. subscribed to Morning Brew because they reached out initially and wanted to do a sponsor. Yeah. And I figured, well, uh, let me just sign up for them. I'll start reading it. And if I like it, yeah. I'll move forward to the sponsorship. I loved it. I honestly, I, and I they opened did a great every job. single email. It was good. And then I got in touch with Adam who's the owner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we started talking and I'm asking him like and we talked for probably 2 hours. And like I was talking with him about the YouTube algorithm. He was telling me about the Morning Brew algorithm. <laughs> and it's so genius. His open rates, he was telling me, is somewhere on 50 to it could be as low as 40 as high as 60%, sometimes yeah. higher. And to think that he they have, you know, millions of people subscribe to them and they have 50% of people opening their email yeah, every day nuts. is wild. And I didn't real well. I don't know how much I should give away on here, but anyway, he his plan for for testing out titles and figuring out what people open is just it's incredible. They sold and the company. Just, yeah, well, they, not not. I don't believe it was the entire thing, but they sold a big, big chunk. I chunk think of they it. Were valued at what seventy million, seventy five million, million to Business Insider. Yeah. I don't know what their split was, or if if that. I don't think it was a hundred. I could be wrong, but. uh so
0: smart. Yeah, yeah they, they did a great job. They did it right. Yeah. I mean, because they, they were really one of the first movers in that market yeah. to really hit the financial market and make it fun yeah. and entertaining. And so, you know, we, we kind of we, we learned a lot from them, but then we made it a little bit different, made it our own. Because the difference between something like Morning Brew and us is, you know, we have uh, people have a lot of connection with me on Minority Mindset, right? They watch on YouTube. So they're like, oh, we know Just So now we, the big thing is, you know, we have a, a big community aspect as well. So, you know, we have our own community on discord called guac talk. And so, you know, we have a real community in the sense where we bring people from guac talk onto our newsletter. We bring stuff from our YouTube onto our newsletter. So not only is it the market breakdown, but you also have like a breakdown of what's happening within the minority mindset community. Yeah. So it's, it's a little bit different in that sense where, yeah, you have the financial breakdown, but you also have the community breakdown. Would you ever sell it? Uh, We have no thoughts or or plans to sell it right now. Our goal is really just build a bigger community. It's different, right? Because Minority Mindset is a much more personalized brand. Yep. Um, And so, you know, we we don't have any intention to do that. Got it. Can you share how much the newsletter is (sighs) making? It's the ballpark. Well, I'll tell you this: our break even, in order for us to break even on the newsletter right now, is right around eight grand. That's kind of our cost a month, a month to run it, or just a little bit more than eight grand. And we hit break even in, um, I think the first time we hit it was either late 2020 or early 2021.
2: Wow. You ran this for a while without
0: breaking even. Well, because you know, it was just, it was an investment, right? It's like, what do I do with the ad revenue? I can either just go buy, you know, a house. I can go buy a a car. I can buy a Ford GT, my Ford GT, or I can reinvest it back into the brand. (laughs) So we were putting it back into the minority mindset and, uh, now we're, I mean, we're probably a couple of times that, uh, at least. Where yeah. are you investing
2: now? Where does your money go today?
0: Well, i invest my money in five places. Real estate, mm-hmm. stocks, businesses, cryptocurrency, and then physical commodities like gold, physical gold. You buy gold. Physical gold. You're the, how old are you? I'm 30.
2: 30? I'm 30. You're the, you're the youngest gold investor. I think I've, I've. Well, ever met before
0: gold gold is an insurance man for me it's not like i'm not getting a yield on my gold yeah. i'm not getting a return on it it's just real money and the way i look at it, it's a store of value i mean it, it it takes time effort and labor to mine gold um, and it just sits there and looks backs at me you know it just it's not doing anything but i keep it as insurance in case everything else goes wrong in the world i got gold what about treasuries well, that's why I own gold. <laughs> you'd rather you'd rather, I'd gold rather own treasury. gold than the treasury. Well, why do I own gold? Because I'm worried about inflation. If we ever see hyperinflation, well, now what happens to treasuries? They're worthless. Well I mean, gold really hasn't done that that it much. Yeah. yeah, and I don't care what happens to gold. I don't care if it goes up or down. It's, it's just real money, right? It's just like would I rather save dollars in the bank or under my bed, or would I rather keep gold under my mattress? <laughs> right. Cool. I rather hold yeah. some physical gold.
2: What's what's that in relation to the total portfolio? It's small. I'll uh, say so maybe
0: like. I don't even think it's ten percent right now, uh, but it's it's pretty small. That's but, a lot. Tim. Yeah, even it's, yeah, I think 5%, it's, it's, it's less. It's less than ten. Um, okay. But it's 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 the smallest portion. Um, but that's just kind of like insurance. I put a little okay. bit of money to to gold. I, I have like a passive thing where every month I have a little bit of money buying physical gold.
1: And they just send you gold or do they hold it themselves? So,
0: yeah, they hold it in a vault. <laughs> they say, it's month... delivered faster you than your <laughs> money. Yeah, no, it just kind of accumulates um, in a vault. <laughs> and then when you have enough to buy a whole bar, and then they can either ship it out to you or you can keep it in a vault. Oh, I see. So you're buying it through them, they store
2: it for you. Yeah. So but, I have a gold. You just, it'll upgrade. So then you get a bar at some point. Yeah.
0: I, I and mean, I have physical gold, but yeah, it's just, it's in vaults. Like I don't keep it under my mattress, but that'd be a little tough on my head. But I have, yeah, that's what I do with that. And what about crypto? What are, you, what are you buying in crypto? So I buy, uh, I'm passively buying Bitcoin, okay. Ethereum, some of the other uh, coins, but that's pretty much it. I, have, I think it's like five coins that I'm mm. passively buying. And then, you know, when prices go down, I'll buy more. Yeah. I think crypto is the future. It's the people's movement of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it's going to go straight up. I think we're going to see ups and downs. It's very volatile. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, is there a lot of crap in crypto? Yeah, I think there's crap in crypto. I think there's a lot of bad coins. I think there's crap coins. Mm. But I think there's a lot of opportunity in future in crypto. And what percentage of your portfolio is that? I was just about to ask oh, that man, this great is a question. question. See, these percentages are a tough tough question because I don't really like, make a chart of my investments, but um, you could just approximate. yeah I mean I, so I'll tell you like uh, every month, so I have a passive investment I talk about I do stocks and I do crypto. my passive stocks and crypto is the same every month and then um, but what I also do is I have a big chunk of my money in stable coins that are earning interest Mm -hmm. because like this is like the cash that's like waiting to be invested interesting yeah and so what i did was i just moved it because my bank is paying me you know 0.01 percent and then i also had a high interest savings account that i think that was paying me like i don't know half a percent like again nothing right um but then um i was like well what do i do with the cash that i'm waiting to invest like i'm looking for opportunities to invest um and so this is the cash that i then use to now buy stable coins which are now paying me I don't know,
2: seven, eight, nine. That's insane. I would be tempted just to put like a million dollars in stable coins. Yeah. And just no, why invest it though at that right, point? Because right. it's like exactly think... the biggest risk for me is that like something like Tether something might happen. Well, don't but, do Tether. But there, but there are, so what stable
0: coin is your? Well, is I your mean, okay, favorite, if you want to do Tether, that's yeah. fine. I I do a few just because exactly Tether has gone through the issues of of regulatory issues, you know, do, do they actually have enough dollars right. to the relative number of stable coins? So that's the first concern. I I, I use uh, the Gemini coin, Gemini, yeah. um, the USDC, um, and I have, I think one or two others, Pax, um, Paxos and, yeah. and all that. But so for me, yeah, it's kind of like diversification within the stable coins in right. that sense. Um, because yeah, you're right, something could go wrong. Um, and so with the stable coin, but then you have the issue of the counterparty risk if like, you know, the institution you're, you're keeping your stable coins at, if they go down or if people don't, you know, let's say you see a massive crash yeah. and people don't pay the stable coins back. Well, they're not FDIC yeah. insured. So, you know, you have the higher risk and that's, you know, you said a million dollars. That's good. Don't put more than a million because a lot of accounts, they, they do a million dollar limit that you can right. withdraw in a week. So mm. it's like, okay, I know I ain't putting more than a million right. in there.
2: I am just so terrified that like 7% sounds insane to me. Like yeah. sounds really high. And I'm worried that, that there's just not enough regulation to ensure that they're actually putting that money to good use. Yeah. And if something happens on that, it's gone.
0: It's like... Yeah, it's, it's how long are you going to keep the money in there too, right? I mean, for me, I don't plan ten, on keeping this there for 10 years. No,
2: but it's 10... Listen, it's it. if I'm getting 8% of my money, I'm leaving it there. I mean, I'll leave enough there where it's like, that's my safety fund no matter what. But yeah. it's like in the back of my
0: mind... You know, it's just, it's tough, yeah. You can also look at like the previous, I, I always like, kind of look at the historical, like how long has this thing been here? And like a lot of the stable coins, if you remember the 2017, 18 yes. Bitcoin bubble crash, like Tether, that went from a dollar to 93 cents. Mm. So it dropped by like seven, 8%, which you don't want to see that happen, but yeah, right. relative to the grand scheme of like what happened in the crypto market, it wasn't that bad. Now it's like okay, if let's assume that this can continue, Uh, then what's the next risk? It's, are these accounts going to be around? Because that's the next concern is, right? These uh, new institutions which allow you to earn interest, they haven't been around long enough to see a major downturn. Mm -hmm. So it's like, who are they lending their money out to? Because some people are lending their money out to uh, retail investors, and they're going to pay you a higher return. And others are going to lend it out to institutional investors. So uh, big corporations, accredited investors, you know, institutions so it's like okay i'm okay not getting 11 percent because i want to get some seven eight because i you know i want to know who they're actually lending the money out to so is there risk absolutely man it's risky i mean the, the things could go down but it's like you know you you, you want to put in that money where i i don't plan on keeping it there forever um but i also i understand that hey this is better than the savings account right i, I don't just want to save my money i want to buy investments but this is money waiting to be invested this is earning me something so usually we ask uh, every guest, you don't have to answer this
2: if you don't want to, but uh we wanna know uh <laughs> how much money you make.
0: Well I don't even know how much money I make, but it's in the millions. Um uh I don't know exactly. Okay. Because I don't spend my money. I don't I don't I don't I don't live off of the money that I make. I invest it and then uh I, I don't live very big. But, like, if we have a ballpark,
2: we're, like, going to say, you know, it's... Millions could be, well, me, yeah, me, pretty big. be, like, well, two million bucks
0: the first time after, after expenses. Yeah, yeah, no. Okay, so yeah. the first time I made a million dollars, I think I took home 20000 Oh, because you're running was re- this for the business. I was reinvesting. Right. Right into
1: real
2: estate as well, which... But yeah, so I mean, it's like Oh, no, yeah, I, I see what your point. Yeah, well, reinvesting, well... I don't think it counts if it's reinvested into because I could say that like you know if if you make five but I invested four point nine in the market. The
0: question is how much money am I living off of, and I would say I'm living off of less than a hundred fifty grand a year. Okay, how much was that nice suit? Looks really nice. This was a gift actually. My wife gave me this. Oh. Her, her family this.
2: And, and that's right too. You got married. I got married earlier this congratulations. Year. Yeah, I don't we don't see a ring. So that was you something don't. you're in Vegas and uh
0: yeah. not wearing a ring. Well so. my wife was with me. I'm oh. here with my wife in Vegas. <laughs> she didn't want to come. She she was busy doing some other stuff. Mm. Um but uh yeah, you know, I actually I did I wore the wedding ring. I couldn't sleep. Mm-hmm. It was so weird having a, a ring on yeah. and like I, I for real I couldn't sleep on it. And for me it's like it's also kind of goes into a cultural thing for me. It's like, I, uh, we have this, we have a couple of things like culturally versus religiously, Mm we're like, religiously, it's like, you don't need to have a physical representation to show your love for someone. And for me, culturally, it's, I mean, in that sense, it's like, you know, I love my wife more than anything, you know, and, and I don't need a ring to show her that. And she, she believes me, she knows that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, honestly, I, I really don't care if I wear one or not. It doesn't really matter. It just was so uncomfortable to me. I like couldn't even sleep. I was like, it was yeah. just feeling weird.
2: That's the thing for me. Like, I, I I've never worn a ring, and just the idea of ever like having the, a ring. You is wear a just watch. Like, I mean, I, yeah, a watch is different, but like a
3: ring, I don't know. Yeah, when I get married, um, I don't think I'm gonna wear a ring, and Kelsey doesn't even wear around her engagement ring. So, mm-hmm.
2: now I'm curious. Oh, wait, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, as a finance guy. Did you decide to do a prenup? If you if you feel comfortable talking about, yeah, it, no, if we not, we'll glance it. over it. Okay.
0: I did not get a prenup. I'm a prenup. I'm an attorney okay. and I'm a finance guy. Now every attorney is going to say, "Why did you not do that?" Yeah. Well, I'll put it this way: my wife has put up with all my crap. Mm-hmm. She put up with you know me working my butt off, and you know, let's just talk worst case scenario, mm-hmm. which obviously we hope nothing ever goes wrong. Right. Down right, right. Obviously, but we'll talk yeah. worst case scenario. She deserves half. For everything that she's done, every financial person, every attorney is gonna say, "Oh, you're stupid. You don't know what the-. you know." Yeah. Fine, it doesn't matter. Wow. Okay. And for me, it's you know, I, you know, it, it's weird because like you know, we talk about all this stuff. And I come from a, a unique cultural background where like you know, we don't really talk about money. That's why I don't really talk about my personal finances yeah. much because I don't I, I don't like showing it. It's just not the way I am. Right? It's not my culture. It's not mm-hmm. it's not who I am. Right. And even like with that, it's like you know, I I the one of the things I hate doing is I hate arguing over money. Mm-hmm. to me that's like it's it's bad to your core and so I don't like arguing over money I don't like fighting over money I like educating about money so you can be free so you can build wealth but I hate the idea of like that of tensions over money I like doing things honestly doing things ethically because like in my religion right? I'll just talk about that because mm-hmm. it is a yeah. big part of who I am there's three core components nam japo one shako kirat karo nam japo means remember god one means serve others before you serve yourself get mm-hmm. Karo means earn an honest living and so these things are all very important to me yep. and that's kind of the way that i live which is why i don't like to i don't talk about you know how much money i make i know it's gonna i seem wish weird. you
2: did yeah. because it's it's really interesting for me to hear a different side yeah of you talking about this because i think it's it's it not only is it very important for you but i think also your your especially your longtime viewers would be so curious yeah and, and it just it, it opens up another door that uh helps build that familiarity and, and that
0: connection with you. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we talk about some of the things that we do in our business, mm-hmm. but you know, it's like I come from a different background yeah. and, and I have a different personality. And so, you know, that's, that's just the way I am. You know, I, I don't, we never talk about that type of stuff and said, you know, you can, you can see some of the things that I'm doing. I'll talk about what I do with my money. I'll talk mm-hmm. about how I invest it. That yeah. way you can you know do that. But I, I don't like uh, the idea of attracting somebody by showing money. You know what I mean? I don't try to attract people. I say, hey, look, I got this money. Come fall, watch me. I don't do that. Yeah. It's not me. And so like when you talk about with a prenup, good question. You know, if I was advising somebody as an attorney, I would advise people to get the prenup, right? Legally, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Financially, right. it makes sense. Now, personally, for me, culturally, no. I, 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 For me personally, it does not. And so, you know, I, I like to be honest with everything that I do in that sense. I'll tell you, hey, look, this might be better for some people. This is what I do. And I, I will say, yeah. I'll say what I do. Yeah. I have no problem being honest. I have no problem being completely transparent in that, but it's just the way that I present myself. I, I do that very differently just because of where I come from.
3: I, I respect the, that a lot That's, that's, that's a great answer an honestly. incredible answer actually
2: yeah not only have you have, have you not answered not answered you've answered every single question that we've asked you, but you've 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 then, answered it in such a great way. yeah, let me expand uh, upon that
0: because yeah. I, you know one of the things sure. that this actually irritated me before, yeah because I used to uh when I was trying to get media coverage. I would like pitch these ideas. And then the question that everyone would say is, sure, but instead of that idea that you have, how about we talk about how much money you're making? And I turned down every single one, every single time, because every single headline, you, I mean, you can name any media it cover. It works. It does. That's the thing. And you know, works, you're know, yeah. you right. You're 100% right. It does work. Every, you name the media outlet. You can name it. Every single mm-hmm. one has said it. Let's do an article about how much money you're making as a YouTuber. Yep, I've said no every single time. Every single time. Why free PR, but because but it's culturally it's, it's it's not me, man. Okay. It's not me. And, and that's the thing is I don't, I don't need it. I don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's one of the reasons people like me because they know that I'm authentic. Everything that I say, I'm very genuine. Mm-hmm. I'm very honest. Um, and everything I say is from my heart. Right. I, I speak with passion. Yeah. And so even with that, right, like I rejected every single one because I don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I I don't, I don't talk like that. That's not, that's not who I am.
2: Except on the iced coffee, our podcast. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. How about this? We're, we're going to be finishing up here. Ask us question. What questions do you have for us? It's a final segment here. I also have one, one oh, final Jack question. Jack has yeah. a final question.
1: What is it about you? Two questions, sorry. What is it about you? You said
0: one. I'm just kidding.
1: Sorry. <laughs> Two questions. What is it about you that you've used in all of these different business ventures that really like makes you successful? with all? Like, What is it? Is it your character? Is it... Something
0: about you? I think one, um, well, one, working hard. Uh-huh. I would say I'm, I work really hard. And second, I think it's just creativity. Like one of our core values at the minority mindset is crazy is good. And by that meaning trying new things, trying something crazy, and willing to try things that you know the majority of people won't. I think that that's worked well for us.
1: All right. And then what's the uh, what's the bracelet? So this,
0: again, is another that, yeah. religious uh, bracelet. It's called a karda. So, uh, this, uh, every sick wears it one to identify their six, but it is, a you put it on your dominant hand as a reminder to do good. So before I do something bad, you know, if you do it with my dominant hand, it's supposed to remind me. Hey, oh, wow.
1: Yeah. That's do That's cool. good.
0: Well, what, what watch is that? This one is a Shinola, a Detroit brand. Oh. So represent the city. That's cool. Nice. Give us some questions. If, if you have any. Yeah, let's if do it. If you have any. Yeah. Let's do, what's the future? What's everyone the future this? Of, of of Graham Stefan? <laughs> I don't
2: know. I have no clue. I look. I look up to Dave Ramsey, Doctor Phil, Judge Judy, Joe Rogan. So those people, I look. I, I really like their careers. Um, Judge Judy, I would say, and Dave Ramsey are probably my favorites, just because they've had good longevity, um, family friendly. Everyone could watch them. I like them. So I have no idea. So if it, I th- the next step for me is having Alex edit the main channel videos. So I can't think of anything else. I, I literally my my
0: when when is enough. What do you mean? When's enough? Like when? When? When are you like? I never. I love it. No, 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 no. no, no, no. I I like that answer. No,
2: no, no. no. I have so much fun. Like, uh, like I've been trying to get ahead. So I've taken the first vacation in in like five years, like real vacation. Uh, I think it's for four days, and uh, I've been trying to work ahead, like to get ahead, so that those four days I, I have everything already done. And uh, I'm in the zone. Like, I love it. Like, it, it's hard for me to scale back from that, and I'm excited now about being able to get more done over these next few days. It's weird. So I, I like it. I dig it. Yeah, I dig it. What's the most you've ever spent on clothes? On clothes. Well, Jack bought me the most expensive pair of shoes I ever have. Um, Jack got me a gift. Uh, uh, there was a
1: store that we went to, yeah. and it's
2: a family vlog,
1: which is like our vlog channel, and there were a pair of shoes that Graham really liked. They were, like, absurdly expensive, though. Like, like $600, I think they were. Like and a, Graham could not justify bucks. spending the money. I and I remember, like, it. I saw him. And, I, I like, I sometimes I push Graham because if he sees something that he really wants, I'm like, dude, just go, in, go ahead and do it. Like, I know it's yeah, off-brand. Well, I know it makes you feel uncomfortable. But, like, if you really want something, you're at the point where, like, you've worked so hard, you deserve it, Right. Or you've earned it. And uh, he didn't want to. But uh, it definitely, I was like, dang, like, oh, I wish that he got those shoes. And I still thought about it. Yeah. And then months later, like, as a thank you for letting me stay at his place, because I just got my own place. Mm-hmm. I got him the the pair of shoes. It's his most... Expensive, you know, those are my most expensive. But he, pairs, he has yeah. expensive watches that he buys. Yeah, the watches the accessories. those are investments.
2: Yeah. Those uh, are investments. Cool. Uh no, no. So actually to answer your question, the most expensive piece of clothing I got was uh it was like a $1200 suit that I then spent I think another $400 tailoring it. So it was all in $1600 on a suit that I wore uh when I was a real estate agent. Do you have any advice
0: for us? What could we be doing better? Are, oh, oh are... I
2: wanted to ask you how much you work. Oh, oh yeah. man. Okay. I wanted well, to ask you
0: that. I used to work a lot. Now, I, I mean, I still work a lot. So now that I'm married, what I've done is I, I have taken, chilled out a little bit. Right. Um, I am taking some more time off on weekends. So actually, a lot of times the last few weekends, I haven't even worked huh. uh, that much. I All mean, i right. have been still doing like emails and a little other stuff, on, but like not really going into the office. Um, and then Monday through Friday now, I'm working probably 8 a.m. until 8, 7 p.m. Okay. something like that but but uh you know a lot of times when i'm not working i am you know i'm talking about work so like i'm thinking about work a lot like that never goes away if we're talking about the actual time in the office you know that that's kind of what it is but you know a lot of things that i do i'm thinking about it like i like to go on a morning walk in the mornings um an hour and a half in the mornings it's like wow. a five mile walk yeah i love doing this before the sun comes up so like i I do like a little bit of meditation in the beginning then I listen to audiobooks um, and so it's like just learning, right? I'm always learning, always listening, always kind of doing all that absorbing content, but that's kind of the way that I do it. Love it.
2: Thank you so much for coming on. Man. I, I really it. appreciate that. That we
0: were able to do this. Finally. After years.
2: I know years. Literally. So, thank you. I really appreciate, appreciate it, that. Thank you. Nice meeting you. Thank you. That was great. Thank cool. you. Thank you. Uh, get your free stock now? down below in the description. Center for public. Oh, wow. All
0: right.